Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers and another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. It is the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. Here comes 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the Stud. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast. We step back into the ring, back into time with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, what's going on, man? Hey, man, just uh, just here and uh, and eager to get into another stud cast. A little bad news uh, yesterday, the day before, and sorry about that. But uh, you know, we got a really good stud cast today. I think fans are going to really like this one. Uh, it's got a couple of uh, unique things that are going to happen in this one, and uh, so uh, man, just uh, just happy to be here. Tennessee weather is really nice. Got the old stream out back, uh, waterfall just cranked away, man. It's just, it's beautiful. So that's awesome. Hey, do do you find yourself being outside a little bit more more often? Yeah, man. As much as I can get there, I mean, it's just <laughs> unbelievable here. Yeah, you know, right. living in the mountains is kind of the uh, first time I've ever lived right in the Smokies. Yeah, and it's just it's just gorgeous. Wow, and it, it never looks the same. I've never seen anything like it. Never seen any place in the world like it. Uh, the same mountain never looks the same twice. I mean, the, the clouds are a different level. The, the, it's just it's a remarkable place to, to live. Beautiful That's place. Fantastic to hear. Okay, you mentioned some sad news earlier, and it, we hate to begin with a, a studcast with some sad news, but let's let's talk about this. One of your one of your best friends in the sport passed away a couple of days ago, Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff a legendary name in a couple of different hall of fames. He wrestled for you in the early days of Southeastern Pensacola. Yeah, he did, man. And, uh, you know, I, I, obviously I want to say a few words here about Paul before we get started into the regular stud cast and, and, uh, you know, Paul and I became friends really in the early 1970s in Florida. When I went there, uh, just started wrestling. Uh, my career had already began about that point, and his was just beginning. To, he was beginning to train to become a wrestler. And, uh, you know, he was already a famous star athlete in Tampa, though. He And, you know, in Tampa, that obviously was the home of Florida Championship Wrestling, but it was also the home of the University of Tampa, and he happened to be one of the best football players they ever had there. He goes on to play in the pros. Had just a phenomenal athlete. And uh, when I left the Florida Territory to start my first Southeastern company in Knoxville, 
he was just beginning his career about that time. That was 74 or so. And in 1980, my second year in Pensacola, Southeastern Territory, uh, Paul came and joined me to help me build that territory. And, uh, and you know, I have so much to say and so much respect for Paul that, uh, you know, Dave, I've been thinking about it. Uh, I just did part one of this last Super Studcast. And, and I think part two is going to be a tribute to Paul Orndorff uh, because, uh, you know, mere words, it cannot describe the talent he had, uh, the athletic ability, uh, and the class that Paul Orndorff had. And, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to do this tribute uh, for the second part of uh, number 43. And I'm going to do my best to uh, recognize as best I can, uh, who I think is one of the greatest sports stars uh, ever, man. Uh, you know, uh, just had tremendous, tremendous ability and, uh, and obvious, and, and, you know, at the same time, one of the best human beings ever. I mean, uh, uh, he was a phenomenal person and, uh, you know, and, and I want to, I want to, I want to tell people what I remember about Paul Orndorff and, uh, and I'm going to do it in part two in Super Stud Cast number 43. Yeah. Interesting too, because as, as it always seems to be when we lose somebody, we, we go, we start looking for information about that person. So I did some reading up this morning on on Mr. Wonderful and and the achievements are just incredible and the historical stuff that he was a part of and the very first WrestleMania and a huge figure in the WWF for many years. So anyway, listen, that's that's pretty cool of you too to take that kind of time and your tributes of course have become legendary and really leave fans very emotional as well as as yourself. Of course, part 2 Super Studcast 43, that's what you're committing now. It's going to be the Paul Orndorff tribute, and you're going to release it on Tuesday, July 27th. So, uh, hey, that's uh, I know you can fill that thing up. Plenty plenty to say about an incredible career. Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, as you said, uh, his, his, his feats in sports were remarkable, and uh, he was a remarkable person in that. And uh, and I look forward to it. Uh, I hope I don't cry too much. To be quite honest with you, man. I mean, uh, uh, seem like I get a tear every time I do one of these. But uh, wow, we losing them so fast now. It's just, it's it's scary, you know, yeah. real scary. And uh, you know, uh, but but I wanna I wanna I wanna let fans know what I th- thought of Paul Orndorff. Hey, I know you still feel like a, a young man, but it's uh you know, Ron, at some point. We became the adults. We didn't ask for it, but it's uh, it just uh, it just happens. You're absolutely right. We're losing the heroes every day. All right, listen. Now it is time for today's studcast. We're ex- very excited about this. About what's been happening on your YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel is pretty exciting, also. And by the way, you're nearing that magic number for YouTube channels of 1,000 subscribers. So folks are jumping on board very quickly. Fans are joining you there and ringing the bell in record numbers. So congratulations. That's awesome. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, you know, and I'm extremely excited about this. Uh, and so many fans have already gone there and uh, rung the bell and subscribed to, to Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. And and I want to thank all of them, man. Uh, and, and the ride there is, is just only beginning, Dave, uh, you know. Soon uh, we're going to be starting to put up some USA TV, actual TV shows. 
Southeastern is going to follow that. Continental will follow those. And these shows are going to start to appear. And, uh, and unlike anywhere else on YouTube, these TV shows are going to be released in the exact order they were produced many years ago. And that's what excites me the most about this YouTube channel. Uh, fans are going to be able to watch not just the action, not just the stars or the angles that were happening during that day and time, but they're going to, more importantly, hear and see the week-to-week storyline, like the ones we talk about. Every, every one of these studcasts has a continuing storyline in that television program, and uh, these shows all do it. And uh, that's what made these shows, uh, they, these two territories, these three territories, as, as phenomenal as they were. And they got the ratings that they did on these TV stations that were just, uh, wow, far beyond whatever the, the, the even the TV people were expecting. So so I'd like to really quickly just, just ask everybody, please, to be patient with us here now as you, as you continue to subscribe. Please get on there and watch what we've got. But, uh, you know, I, I want you to know it takes a tremendous amount of work and planning and time to build a YouTube site like the one we're, we're, we're starting to work on here. And, uh, and we hope uh, at some, someday down the road here uh, to have as many as 350 full-length TV shows in sequence, uh, shows over a seven-year period of time from three of the most popular wrestling companies in history. And uh, this is one of the most ambitious wrestling projects in the history of YouTube. I, I have no doubt about that. Hey, but listen, you're right. There, there's a tremendous amount of content on the way, but there's a lot of content there early on. And and really, it's in its infancy. So you, you do have a lot of content there that's waiting. And to me, it, just like you said, that's the beauty of it all. There are already so many great things to enjoy. The original archive studcast from number one all the way through number nine already sitting there. So you can review those, listen to them for the first time, or or just have fun with those if you if you've uh, maybe heard them and forgot what we, what what we were talking about 200 plus episodes ago. So that also leads to something never heard before from you. The totally new Tell Me More show. It happens twice a week, and we're having a ton of fun doing that. Yeah, really are, man. Uh, you and I are really really having a good time, and uh, fans can listen obviously to two of the new studcasts uh, each week. And then uh, they can ask questions right there as soon as they listen to them or within the next day. And uh, three days later, uh, the Tell Me More show is going to come out. And we're going to answer five questions from each one of those shows. And, and uh, you know, uh, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Uh, you know, I get started on an answer and then all of a sudden uh, another story comes to me that I've never told before. And, uh, you know. You and I have been laughing our, our rear ends off. We've been having a great time at it. And, uh, you know, speaking, and, and then, you know, uh, uh, I'm really, really excited about it, Dave. It's a great honor and a, and a privilege to have the opportunity to to put this together for, for my three companies. That's awesome. It's a ton of fun. And there are more of those Tell Me More shows coming up very soon on the YouTube channel, Southeastern rewind all right stud you ready to hit the trail where are we riding to yeah man i'm absolutely ready we're we're going to have a heck of a ride today i have a feeling fans are going to really like this program i think uh, we're going to begin to ride where we ended up last week today's training
And at the end of last week's Today training, you asked me a question. Uh, you, it was like, uh, what else are, are you going to do, Ron, during your downtime while you were recuperating over there in Bolivar, Tennessee, on your father's ranch? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer to that question today is going to surprise just about everybody that's listening. Uh, so then we're going to find out uh, on this one today, the card for July 1st, 1977. It's going to be the third annual Summer Battle Royal. It's in the huge Chilhowee Park Amphitheater again. Uh, we're going to discuss the great TV that promoted it six days before the card. Uh, we're going to talk about a TV that included a never-before-seen event on television, uh, a 10-man tug-of-war, uh, all 10 guys against just one wrestler, Jola Duke. And uh, plus, at the end of the studcast, I'm going to give the attendance for this big battle royal card. Learning tree question for this one comes from a fan that's paying real close attention, Dave, to every stud cast. And it's amazing. And what was happening in Southeastern at this time? And he asked this, when did you and the TV station receive the wrestling results of the Arbitron and Nielsen rating books for the month of May 1977? And what were those ratings? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that. That guy, I don't know. He's some kind of a crazy insider. He must be riding a real fast stallion, Ron, to be keeping up, keeping up like that. It's a really good question, though, because those books probably had just arrived about the time of this this Studcast covers in 1977. So, I mean, I hope he doesn't ask for you and me or Mr. Pickle's spot on the show, right? <laughs> What's going on here? No, don't worry about that, Dave. <laughs> Nobody's going to get your spot, man. Nor or Mr. Pickles. I believe he's he's. I believe he's in, man. I hope he, so. He, that 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 horse is doing the job. So you know, it, it just it just <laughs> proves really though uh, how we're really getting some great questions now uh, every day from fans. Our fans are becoming much more knowledgeable. It seems like every week we must be doing something right here, man. Mm. Well, it could be that you're kind of an encyclopedia of wrestling inf- information, Ron, and we we open the book every studcast. So that's that's kind of what you do. All right, so where do we ride to now? Well, we're going to start uh, with today's training, as as we promised uh, on the last studcast, and uh, we'll return the, to actually the third week in a row that I'm going to be on my father's ranch over there in 1977. And uh, in this today's training, we're going to have a what is very unusual an unu- a shoot with a fan at a live event, Jackson, Tennessee, in the summer of 1977. Okay, but I, at the same time, I thought you're, you're recuperating from Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin's knee drop off the top rope on June 10th of 77. That night that you were hurt and missed the Harley Race world title shot because of that, right? Yep, and and I am still recuperating at this point. Uh, right. You know, I'm not totally well, but something happened uh, in this night that kind of required me to step up and and uh, as my dad used to say, protect the business. So that's uh, <laughs> that's what we're going to kind of get into. All right, so I can tell already that this is going to be kind of interesting coming coming from you. All right, so what happened to you at the matches in Jackson, Tennessee? In the summer of 77, were, were you on a card there? 
Well, no, I wasn't. I was recuperating. I wasn't booked. Uh, you know, I'm sure my dad would have liked to throw me on the card because he was promoting to town and I uh, would have probably helped him draw a little bigger house. Uh, but I, I was going over there. I'd been there to two shows. There, He ran it once a week. This was my third show. And I was just going over and hanging out in the dressing room with the boys and uh, having a good time. And uh, so I, I go to this third week show and I went in the dressing room where all the Memphis Territory boys were. You know, it wasn't my crew. It was uh, Jerry Jarrett and my dad's crew. And everyone was in the same dressing room in this particular building. And that happened on some occasions. It wasn't a problem if there were two different doors, the in and out of the dressing room, heels go out one door, baby faces out the other. It, it, it wasn't a problem. So my father walked in the dressing room just about bell time, and he announced to the entire crew uh, that a fan had come up to the ring, grabbed a microphone, and he challenged any wrestler to come to the ring and wrestle him. And, and my dad asked, uh, <laughs> he asked them all, me too, I guess. I was included. I'm sitting there. And he, he asked, uh, who, who's going to take care of this? <laughs> and uh, so, so, you know, and then and, and to my to my surprise, the dressing room just went dead silent, you know? And someone in the group finally asked, he said, how, how big is this guy? And Dad said, I don't know, he probably weighs 250 pounds, maybe maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. And then silence again, you know? And, and I sat there waiting for somebody to say, okay, I'll take him. You know, and I didn't feel like it was my responsibility to do it. It wasn't my territory. I wasn't even a member of the crew in the territory. There was about 16 guys in the dressing room. You know, I expected, well, somebody's going to, you know, somebody's going to do the deal. So I sat there and and I I started looking around at every guy in the the dressing room and they all dropped their heads. They refused almost all of them to even look me in the eye. And and I I wasn't going to. Then I started, then I thought, well, hey, geez, this ain't right. You know, and I wasn't going to make it easy for them. So I was. I was a little surprised and embarrassed for all of them that nobody was jumping up to do this, you know? So I could only imagine how many in my crew back in Knoxville would already jumped up and volunteered. There'd have been a long line of them saying, Hey, I want him. I want him. I want him. You know? So finally my dad, you know, and he was also kind of embarrassed for all of them, I guess too. He asked one more time, he says, mm-hmm. you know, who's going to take care of this mark before we start the show. And all the heads dropped again, right? So, so uh, geez, I said, uh, hey, I, I'm not a member of the territory here, and you know, but I'm a wrestler. And I said, and I don't have a problem proving it. I'll take him. So you could feel a sigh of relief from all those guys in the dressing room. Everybody kind of, oh, yeah, like, wow, somebody's going to do it, right? Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, crazy, right? I mean, you know, I did so, so dad didn't make it easy on him either. You know, he, he said to me, you know, he said, Hey, you're hurt. You know, you're not part of this crew and you, and you don't even have any wrestling gear here. You know, he goes, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he's basically, you know, making it even harder for them. Somebody not to step up. And then I told him, I said, Hey, I don't need any gear. I'll wrestle barefooted and, uh, take my shirt off and wrestle in my jeans. So dad said, okay. I'll give you five minutes. Come down to the ring after you hear the bell. And he left the dressing room. So I was there and kind of embarrassed for all the guys and realizing that none of them, I guess, had any shooting ability or the confidence even to take care of it. Uh, literally the hard way, you know. 
Okay, but by literally the hard way, you don't mean you were going to bust the guy's eye the hard way or beat him <laughs> up. <do you>? Come on. <laughs> well, Dave, you know, a good storyteller doesn't jump to the end of the story when it's just beginning. So uh, well, all in due time, my man. <laughs> well, oh, okay. All right. All right. So. The guy, the guy was basically disrespecting every one of us by doing what he did. Now, challenging all of us was one thing, but being bold enough to go down to the ring before an event starts, get the microphone, and uh, and challenge people on the microphone, that that was just uh, taking it too far. So you know, and I wasn't a rookie when it came to standing up for the business. Uh, I'd been shooting with Mark since I was probably fourteen years old. My dad taught me to shoot, and then he always told the marks when they popped up to challenge him, which was quite often, actually, that if they beat the skinny kid, uh, meaning me, I was about, uh, you know, 6'6", 160 pounds, you know, that uh, if, if they beat me, then then they could get a shot at him. And then nobody ever got that match. <laughs> nobody ever got past the skinny me, right? So, right. so uh, I go to the ring, uh, the bell rings, every wrestler in the dressing room, they all come line, come all of them come out of the dressing room and they line up on the back wall where the dressing room was. Uh, they and they're in plain sight of all the fans. And and I always hated it, man, when wrestlers uh, were going to shoot with fans and the boys in the dressing room emptied out all of them to watch it. Uh-huh. Really, it kind of gave the business away. I mean, why would all of them come out to watch a shoot with a mark? And hardly anybody come out to watch a great match between two stars, right. you know, and mm. that, in a way that, you know, didn't that say almost everything to the audience? It told them what match was really important to the wrestlers. And maybe uh, this little deal with me and this Mark is going to be the match of the night, you know, but uh, it was basically snake pit time. Right. So they announced the guy and then me and then uh, and I, I was recognized there since I'd been the Southern champion in that territory throughout most of 1975, I knew what I was capable of. And then because the other guys in the dressing room were afraid to do what I was about to do, I was not going to hurt this guy bad. I, I was going to use him to show off to all those guys standing back there on the wall to show them just how harmless and helpless the mark is here. Mm-hmm. You know, so the bell rang. We locked up and I shot in behind him. And uh, while we were on our feet, I grabbed him around the waist and lifted him up so his feet were about two feet off the mat. And then I slammed him face first into the mat and drove all my weight on top of him and uh, slammed him hard enough that everyone in the building could hear the wind bust out of his body. Hmm. You know, pow, they, you know, and that, that was a good little start. I got his attention right off the bat. And then he kind of instantly went limp, you know, and then I, Pressed my weight down on him, on top of him. I was on top of him. And, then, you know, wrestlers had a weight of really of uh, changing your weight from being 200 pounds to 1,000 pounds if you wanted to, especially when you're on top. Mm-hmm. And I let him know that I was in control. He's go- He ain't going nowhere. And in a few seconds, I kind of lifted my weight up off of him so that he could. I intentionally did that so that he could get to his hands and knees. And uh, when he got there, I stopped him. I had my stomach down on his back and I started to spin around on top of him. I meant all the way around on top of him fast, then in the opposite direction a couple of times. And I took the time every time I'd spin on him before I'd spin the other direction to look at the guys back there on the wall and they're all smiling and celebrating because the mark's looking so bad, right? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I flipped him over. Uh, you know, I flipped over on him. He's still on his hands and knees, and I got my back down to his back, and I used my feet on the mat, and I spun around on him upside down one way and then the other. I made it obvious to the crowd and certainly to those guys back there against the wall that uh, he was nothing. You know, I was riding him upside down. I'd never seen anybody do that, but by golly, I did. I rode this mark <laughs> upside down, and uh, and then and I made it look easy. And I wanted the fans and the boys in the back to know just how helpless he was. So then I flipped him over, and my stomach to his back again. And then I shot my arm under his arm. I half Nelson him and grabbed a shot across the back of his neck to his other arm. I flipped him on his side. And by golly, it was sugar hole time. So I drove my weight down on his arms. And at the same time, I cranked my body around his head until I cut his wind off. And uh, he panicked, as most marks do when they get in that position. And they realize that, wow, I'm in a place I shouldn't be. I should never be here. You know, and uh, and when he panicked, uh, you know, uh, when his breath got cut off, obviously he just and he screamed. Right then, he says, uh, loud enough that he could be heard, he said, uh, uh, you know, he said, uh, I give up. <laughs> and uh, and the ref was about to end it. And and I, I told him, you know, I, I, I give him the Iggy, as we say in the business. And uh, and I said, not yet. And uh, so the ref backed off. And uh, this guy, he had been a real ass, you know. He had come down to ringside. He had challenged wrestlers. He had tried to make himself look like a tough guy. He disrespected me and all the other guys, too. I made him pay for that before I allowed the ref to stop the match. I had him in the sugar. I went ahead and I cranked it on him, man. And uh, and that's where he got to the, the little point where most marks get, most people that you've wrestled and put the sugar on, they get those little squealing moans, I call them. You know, they get the little mousy no. The little mousy noise, like, oh, my God, you're killing me. And, oh. uh, you know, and, and but at that point, he's hurting too much to give up. So, huh. you know, I finally huh. told the ref, you know, I said, okay, you can ring the bell. And, then, you know, I, then the guy was still laying there. I got up, and he was still laying there when I left the room. And I left the ring, and then uh, and I was kind of like the man of the hour, man, when I got back in the dress room. I mean, everybody came running, man. They're going to shake my hand and congratulate me. I'd done nothing big, you know. But word got around when you did this type of thing to all the wrestlers. They, when they saw this, they talked to other wrestlers. And soon every wrestler I ran into for a long time after that said, tell me about that shoot in, in Jackson, Tennessee. So, uh, guy really made me look good. Wow. So, yeah, it absolutely made you look good. But, but how did how did you or how did your father look at those guys that really owned that locker room? Uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, he he probably didn't have much more respect for him than I did. But you know, Dave, there was a whole lot of wrestlers in in wrestling that didn't have shoot shooting ability they'd never had the opportunity to learn to shoot they'd only had wrestlers that trained them to work and uh you know it wasn't their fault i didn't hold it against anybody i was just glad that uh, i had the ability and i'd been in the snake pit enough to know that you know this is not a big deal and uh you know so uh it, it was uh it was kind of a good thing in a way because uh 
my my uh, reputation, I guess, is a good word for it. My reputation uh, got better. Oh, oh, no doubt. But it, it had to be the fear of the unknown for the guys in the locker room because they didn't see the guy. Because obviously, their question: How how big is he? And so, so your father said uh, about two fifty. But that no no one of even not even a main eventer would have said, yeah, I'll I'll take this. You know, we're not. And so. I don't know. And the thing to me is that's how, that's how, that's how it was back then. Anybody off the street could come up and grab the mic at the ringside. You don't, you don't have that happen anymore. No, no, no. You can't get to the, you barricaded anymore. You got to climb over a barricade to get to the ring. Much less get the microphone. Yeah. That was one of those moments the crowd didn't pay for, but when they got there, they went, Oh my God, what are we about to see? And so, uh, I don't know that, that, that was one of those moments. You just don't see that very often. So anyway, it, I, I think it's pretty cool that you said, uh, without, without eyeing the guy. Yeah, I'll do it. And you were what injured. Oh uh, yeah. I was still hurting a little bit. I still had some problems with my throat. Uh, but, uh, you know, not, not <laughs> injured enough. I felt any, any, uh, <laughs> yeah. and that I needed to worry about this. So, you know, it was pretty easy for me. Uh, yeah. but, uh, it, that didn't happen very often. No, you're right about that. Not very often did uh, did marks end up re- getting in the ring with wrestlers, yeah. unless it was the middle of a match and a riot, and they they yeah, found right. themselves in the ring. Lots of fans got into the matches so much sometimes that uh, they would jump in the ring. I have I've looked at guys when they've jumped through the ropes and they stand up in the ring, and I can tell by looking at them they have no idea where they are. <laughs> right, <laughs> and uh, and within five seconds, usually they'll recognize that. Oh my God, I'm in the ring, and what they'll a... and then they get back out faster than they got in. Yeah, wow. That's smart. Well, all right, and then and then the other thing is not even your territory. You come into uh, a visitor's locker room, basically, and you're yeah. the guy who did it. So no wonder you were like. <laughs> Damn that that Ron Fuller, he's a man. Oh man, well you know it was so easy, man. If you yeah. had the training I had, and they had the benefit of all those years in the snake pit, yeah, uh, that was a simple little deal. And then and then there's the big boy who who says I give as soon as possible, and there's no way you can let him go because, uh, well, you 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 at least had a point a point to prove, and and don't be giving up at the first opportunity. So all right, that's. All I right. bet he never went back and did that again. <laughs> that's. Uh, that's good. I knew this was going to be a, a cool segment. All right. A great way to start this studcast. So where do we ride to now? Uh, well, we're going to look at the third annual Summer Battle Royal card of July 1st, 1977. Opening the match on that card was Norvell Austin against a Greek guy that uh, friends of the former promoter, John Kazana. This guy's name was Mike Pappas. And he had wrestled against Norvell the week before. And uh, Norvell... Uh, Norvell uh, beat him for the second week in a row. And the second match was one that developed the week before when the new big guy, Pro, uh, was wrestling Tommy Rich, and he put the sleeper on him. And then after he was asleep, he refused to wake him up. He refused to even let him go. And he started giving him the old ragdoll thing. Is That's my word for it. The, what he used to do is just, uh, you know, the guy's asleep. He'd just sling him all around, his arms and legs, and everything's flying. And Ron Wright came down to the ring. Now, this was the week before. And Wright and the pros, they got into it. And then they fought all the way back to the pros dressing room. 
So this card, uh, this week on this one is is head to head, Ron Wright against the pro. So the third match was a handicap match, and then it's two men versus one. And uh, two men wasn't enough for this guy, Joe LaDuke. I mean, Joe LaDuke beat George McCrary and Tony Peters. You know, he he could have maybe taken four four guys like that. I don't know, you know, but uh, Joe was remarkable. And the fourth match was for the Southeastern Tag Belts and the champions, Mr. Knoxville, who was Ronnie Garvin, and uh, Bob Orton Jr. were against Tony Charles and my brother Robert. And this time, uh, instead of 45 minutes, this is going to be an hour time limit on this one. Uh, then there's a Southeastern Championship match. Titles on the line. And the champion, uh, Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr., uh, was wrestling Bob Armstrong. And the main event on this card was a 13-man, over-the-top rope battle royal, $5,000 to the winner. Dude, I continue to be blown away by card after card being strong. So how strong each of these cards is. And and the other thing is, I just called you dude. The, so this one is almost as good as the world title card last week. So you and Robert as bookers were really, I mean, you were just kicking this thing. It was knocking it out of the park literally every Friday night. So I bet next up is the TV show. Six days before the card, Saturday, June 25th, 1977. Let's go there now, Stud. Jeez, man, you you and Mr. Pickles, you, <laughs> you're becoming a pretty darn good tag team, man. Uh, you. you know, both of you are right on top of it here. So you're right. TV is next. And uh, this one promotes this big battle royal card we just talked about. And this TV, like uh, many of them lately, it's got a little bit of everything in it, man. Uh, live matches, uh, Stomper's on live. Uh, the new big man, Doug Gilbert, uh, pro, is on live. The tag match, uh, Southeastern champions, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. And Bob Armstrong's going to close it out. It had videos of the wild match with the Stomper and Joe LaDuke from the night before in Chilhai Park. It even had some Ron Wright video in it. Uh, and then a real big event on this TV, the special event, that had never happened before on any TV show was a live tug of war with 10 men from the studio audience against Joe LaDuke by himself. So by the time Les ran all this down and the cameras backed away from Les to the big screen and still shot on the, across the entire set behind him, Joe LaDuke was in the picture and his forehead was all patched up and he's sitting next to Les. And then, you know, the giant man, uh, Still shot behind Liss and then uh, Joe well, was a was of Joe and the Stomper. Both of them were bleeding, boy. I mean, profusely bleeding and choking each other at the same time. What a hell of a still shot it was! It was like you could see the animosity in that one photo. So Liss asked the director to back up the video, and Joe began to describe then what was a violent match, as as violent as any. Southeastern fans had ever seen, and maybe any other place in the country. So fans in the amphitheater were obviously going crazy. It was really, really something. And when the video ended, and before Joe left the set, uh, Les reminded Joe and the fans watching that later on in the show, at the end of the show, that there's going to be a 10-man tug-of-war right here on television. So the Mongolian Stomper and Georgia's Gorgeous George Jr. got the fans' attention, man, as soon as they got into the studio and it was the first live match. 
And it didn't take long for the bandage up stopper. He was just as bloody the night before as LeDuc was, and they both looked like it. Didn't take long for the stomper man to put his big old giant 15 boot in the face of that, the opponent they had in the ring, and he left him laying, man. And uh, him and old Gigi came to the set for the first interview. Uh, Gigi, you know, would, would be talking about the Stompers' upcoming Southeastern Championship match with Bob Armstrong, because that's what they had for the following Friday night. And uh, who had won over the world champion? Bob had won over Harley Race the night before. But by disqualification, Harley dumped him over the top on purpose just to get disqualified and to save the title. Bob really had him going. And uh, Gigi, obviously, as Gigi does, went right on the attack. He started accusing Armstrong of not being nearly as powerful as his stomper and saying Bob certainly didn't qualify as a stronger opponent for race than his stomper was. And he reminded everybody that his stomper was robbed of the opportunity to beat the world champion, even though his stomper had both the Southeastern and the Southeastern uh, TV trophy, both titles at the same time. And then he brought up the fact that uh, Bob Armstrong uh, had no title. Right, Les? I think he asked Les, does, how many titles does Bob Armstrong hold here, Les? You know, <laughs> Les didn't answer it, I don't think, but, you know. He, 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 said, he said, basically, Bob Armstrong has no championship of any, any kind, yet he got the title shot over my champion that has two titles. So that next Friday night, uh, you know, he says his stomper is going to make Armstrong regret that Southeastern officials didn't give stomper the title shot. And uh, he said that, that he mean um, Bob Armstrong was now going to be humiliated by his stupendous stomper. So. Bob would have his rebuttal later in the show. Uh, second match came on right then was pro uh, in his second live match since he had arrived in Southeastern. And he repeated same ragdoll finish that he had been shaking his opponents violently after he put him to sleep and after refusing to wake him up. And then uh, pro took his rage to the limit. He finally released this unconscious opponent just seconds before being disqualified because he knew if he got disqualified, He's going to lose on TV, and, uh, you know, he didn't want to take it that far. So he finally let the guy go. The fans were really beginning to hate this big man. Boy, his his heat was growing every week. You could see it. Uh, so Ron Wright entered the studio after the pro left, and he went to the set. He watched the end of the match from the night before where him and the pro had gotten into it. And uh, he almost had another altercation if you remember in the last tv show they got face to face and les had to stop something from happening last week and then uh the night before this tv they had gotten into it and he watched the end of that match from the night before with tommy rich versus the pro and pro had done to rich same thing he did a few minutes earlier to this tv opponent ron wright came down tommy rich's rescue and Wright and the pro fought all the way back to the pro's dressing room so Ron stated to set. He's already there with Les, and the pro showed up in Studio B for the next interview. And the pro started off with the fact that Ron Wright sneaked up behind him the night before, and that was the style of fighting that hillbillies were famous for. So he was really knocking the hillbillies, and that Ron Wright always bragged about giving people a dog whipping. But uh, and then he's saying, but but he heard. It was more like Wright letting his dog do the work for him because he wasn't able to whip. So, so you know, uh, he was he was really cutting into old Ron, you know, and uh, 
And he said, Ron Wright's much less a man the, than, than he is. And then when he said that, boy, he, he had a body. He was really, really put together. And he popped up those big biceps, man. And then he, while he had him up there, he finished the interview and he says, how's any hillbilly ever going to beat someone like me? <laughs> um, well, Ron was ready, you know, <laughs> it was his time to get it done. And, uh, boy, he tore into the big man and he knew saying that, uh, you know, he said something about, you know, these so-called hillbillies are the toughest people on earth and nobody has it harder than the poor people in these mountains. You know, he says, <laughs> nobody lives on less and makes more out of what they have than good old hillbillies. You're transforming. <laughs> You're doing it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I can't help myself, man. No, I just, I, <laughs> I love to do Ron Wright, man. <laughs> and, and he probably rolling over in his grave when he hears this, you know, that, <laughs> oh, whatever. You know, so, you know, then, then he finishes up, you know, uh, you know, he's, he says that, you know, that, that he was a hillbilly, uh, made them twice. Being a hillbilly made him twice as tough as mean as a muscled up freak with like that guy's got <laughs> uh, that body that that freak's got, he says, you know. And then he ended up saying, you, he says, you know, when I'm a standing over you next Friday night and you're laying there tasting the blood running down your face from my chisel, then you're <laughs> going to look up at me and admit you just got a damn good old Tennessee dog whooping <laughs> from the number one hillbilly. <laughs> Boy, he got a pop. <laughs> wow. That studio went nuts, man. I mean, he'd stood up for all of them. Boy, what a pop. I hadn't heard one of those in a long, long time there. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of fun. You always, you make the transformation and you you become Ron Wright. So that is very convincing. All right, look, it seems like a good time to take a break. Let's do that. And on the way to the break, let's remind you again about Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Go to YouTube, look for Southeastern Rewind, subscribe, ring the bell, get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped there on YouTube. And make sure you tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. This studcast will continue in a moment. We'll be right back. The stud is proud to roll out another super studcast number 43, and he's just as proud to do something in the new wrestling era of the 2000s. He's selected a commentator with 30 years of experience with major wrestling companies, WWE, Ring of Honor, and New Japan Wrestling, who, in Ron's opinion, is the closest thing to old school wrestling since the 1980s at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Get ready for Kevin Kelly, the man chosen by The Rock to interview him as much as possible. And today, the only English-speaking commentator for New Japan Wrestling. Kevin is a Studcast fan. His conversation with Ron is filled with tremendous wrestling history. Then, just announced earlier in this Studcast... Part two of number 43 is going to be one of those legendary tributes that Ron has become famous for to his great friend, Paul Orndorff. Paul's passing has shaken the wrestling world. Join Ron on July 27th for that heartfelt tribute to one of the sport's greatest of all time, Paul Orndorff. Super Studcast number 43 promises to be one of the best yet at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast gets you three hours of unforgettable wrestling history for only $2.99. It's still the best deal in wrestling. All right, we are back. The Studcast rolls on. David Summers here with the Tennessee Stud, 
Ron Fuller. After the break, Stud, what about the personality profile? So, Mr. Pickles and I are pretty sure that's coming up next. Let's do it. All right, my man. And uh, obviously, you two are right on it again, man. Uh, That's exactly where we are, personality profile. And this one is going to be another one of those really different personality profiles. Uh, Something, again, that we had never done before. This one's going to involve the studio audience for the first time ever. So Les was great at these type of things, interacting with the fans. He was so good at that. And uh, he was going to go uh, from the from the set uh, out into the where the ring is in the studio. He was going to walk around, and he's going to actually select ten men from the studio audience. He's going to show the fans the bicep rope that George LaDuke is going to wear in this tug of war contest. He's not going to be pulling the rope with ten men on the other end. He's going to put five guys on each side of him. He's going to put ropes around his forearms and his I mean, biceps, he's going to connect his hands, and he, they're going to have 10 seconds to pull his hands apart. Wow. Okay. So, you locking, know, wow. Locking both hands together. Locking both hands together, and right. five men on each side pulling as hard as they can, and they're going to try to pull his hands apart in five in 10 <laughs> seconds' time. So, uh, you know, and so it, uh, Les brings uh, the, uh, you know, the contestants in, and uh, it's it's a pretty, pretty, good, uh, pretty good show here. All right. So, why did he do all that during the the profile? I mean, couldn't could why why wouldn't that wait till the end of the show? Well, you know that's a good question, actually, Dave. You know, and and one that Les and I had, had thankfully asked ourselves several days before that live TV. Mm-hmm. We knew we were going to have this tug of war. We knew that uh, you know we knew in advance, and then we knew how long uh, each element. We needed to know how long each part of this tug of war was going to take to set up. Uh, we knew that there were five men going to be lined up on each side of Joe and they were going to pull the ropes in opposite directions when the signal was given. Mm-hmm. And Joe was going to hold his hands together for 10 seconds, like we just talked about, and all 10 men be trying to pull his hands apart. What we didn't know was how long is it going to take to get these people, to get these guys, to get them in their place, uh, to get everything done, because TV was so timed out. You didn't, you didn't have any extra time when your time ran out, your show's over. They quit (laughs) recording. Right. I mean, so the worst thing that could happen with doing this event at the very end of the show is you get it started and uh, you run out of time and nobody knows what actually happened. They don't see the the deal. Right. So, so that's why we went and uh, had less go and do this stuff during the profile because all we had to do then when we got ready to do it was to bring the 10 guys into the ring. They all knew where to stand. They'd all had the ropes in their hands. They knew the whole deal and we could quickly get to the, to the actual tug of war. So, so Les walked around the ring during the profile and he picked 10 men that wanted to participate. He had asked, would you like to participate? Some guys say no, some, some said yes. And then he brought them into the ring and then in Les's own inimitable style, he let them introduce themselves. He, and then he, he, he asked them each one, where are you from? And, you know, it's a great spot. Yeah. The fans never got to do that on a television, wrestling television show. You know, they're all getting this, this real <laughs> bonus coverage for themselves, you know. <laughs> and then he got everybody, showed them what position they need, got each guy in line. You're, you're the third, fourth, fourth guy, went through the whole deal. 
And then he closed out the profile with all 10 men in the ring. And he said, now, please stay tuned at the end of the show, today's show for this historic event. <laughs> all right. So, so a couple of things. It's really cool that Les gave these local guys an opportunity to say their name in town because probably not everyone was from Knoxville. So that kind of spreads it out. And people also go, oh, well, he lives over at so-and-so and so do I, or I know somebody from over there. So that's pretty cool that Les does that, a name in town thing with, with 10 random guys. And then the other thing is, imagine this show going off the air and imagine every ball cap or visor hitting the floor because it went off the air before the tug of war was over. I mean, you've got, you've got thousands of Steve Spurriers that are just slamming that thing to the floor. It's like, what in the, are you freaking kidding me? So anyway, look, look, you guys, by this time, you, do you think you were going to have any problem getting anybody to don't go away? We'll be right back. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody turning the channel after that personality profile. So, I mean, are you with me on this, Ron? Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of get it. I think you get the gist of things, man. I mean, uh, you pretty well covered exactly what uh, we thought was going to happen and how important it was to do it differently. And uh, and so this segment is is it's ready, it's set, man, for the yeah. end of the show. I'll see. So so we're now it's time for the third match, and the third match happens to be the Southeastern Tag Champions, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr., man, and uh, they're in the ring against a, a couple of very unlucky job boys, I can tell you that, because <laughs> these two guys, Orton and, and Roddy Garvin, Mr. Knoxville, they bump those poor guys, man. They give them every kind of bump I have ever seen. Wow, and uh, Mr. Knoxville... In the end of it, he jumped off the top rope in one of them's throat, and then he reaches over and tags Orton. The guy's laying there, and instead of Orton coming in and covering him, Orton came in and stepped across him and went over, and in the other corner was the other poor guy who was had been beaten up so badly that he was just barely hanging on the ropes so he didn't fall down. And Orton just reached over the top rope, sacked him up, put him on his shoulders into his backbreaker, and he brought him inside the ring, and he he jumped up and down a couple of times and jerked him on the guy on his shoulders, which really stretched his body out and made it even more painful, accentuated the pain. Good. And then he dropped him on his head, not on the mat, but on top of his dead partner laying in the middle of the ring still. <laughs> <laughs> so they had a pile of bodies there, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then he goes over, and he, he motions to Mr. Knoxville, who's outside, to come on in. And, you know, and Knoxville came on in and they flipped one guy, both of them on their back. They each put a foot on one of them's chest and the ref counted both those guys out. And, wow. It was mercifully over for those two jobbers, man. I mean, <laughs> and, and uh, boy, uh, Knoxville and Orton, they came to the set with less. And um, there was two wrestlers, you know, that uh, had left out there that they had demolished, man. They We had to carry them both. They had to both be carried from the ring. A showcase. In brutality, yeah. a showcase. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the, every match they did, and it wasn't just in the TV. It was in the house shows too, and yeah. all those little towns around the, that part of the country. Gosh, they had no mercy. They were just they were they were bad. They were a wow. really really rugged team. Yeah. So uh, 
So Rob and uh, Tony Charles in the other studio, Les and uh, Les is there with Orton and Mr. Knoxville, and uh, they start Orton and Knoxville start the interview, and uh, the belts are were over their shoulders. You know, they were real proud of being champions, and they they talked about how lucky those two jerks in the other studio, talking about Rob and Tony, uh, were the night before that they they held them to a 45 minute draw. And they, they they were like, wow, you guys are really lucky. You ain't that good, you know. And then uh, the following night, uh, they had extended that time limit to an hour. So they both said, we guarantee you, you're, you're wasting your time by, by extending it to an hour because we're going to kill them now in less than 45 minutes. We're not even going to need 45 minutes. And uh, that they were going to pile. When just like we did to them boys, they said in the ring, we're going to pile that English puke, Tony Charles, on top of the Fuller Punk. And uh, just like we piled those boys in the ring a few minutes ago, and uh, we're going to we're going to get our hands raised. So, you know, and he said, then the cleanup crew there at the old Chill High Park, they're going to take the trash out of the ring by a stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> they were having a big day. They were enjoying themselves and laughing. It was all pretty cool to them. And then there was Rob and Tony's. Uh, they had a different version, man, of what was going to happen the next Friday. And uh, they were obviously very glad to get the time limit extended to one hour since they had gone 45 minutes and, and they both felt like if they'd had five more minutes, they would have won. But uh, to give them an extra 15 minutes, that really gave them a real good chance to beat these two guys. So Tony had old Rob that he had some throws. That's what he called his all these different type of English bumps that he gave guys where just some of them were unbelievable, man. And he told Rob, he says, I've saved some of my throws, Rob, for for for, ne for this next match, you know, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, and Rob threw, stuck up his fist and he said, he said, I got some throws too, man. And they're going to come on the end of this fist. <laughs> you know, Rob didn't have any throws, but, but he said, I I'm going to be throwing some fist. And uh, so Tony, you know, Tony said, they told Tony, he said, I I'd love to black both their eyes with throws from the fist, you know, and they had a little bit of laugh about that. And the studio audience kind of laughed with it too. So. Got to the last match, and it was Bob Armstrong. Second week in a row that Bobby closed out the live matches on TV. And as usual, Bob took care of business, man, and the fans just loved him. They just applauded like crazy, and they high-fived him uh, when it was, before he went to the ring. And after he got out, uh, he was just a great babyface, and he never got old to fans. I don't care how long he was in a territory. He never got old to fans. So... With just a few minutes left in the show, Joel Duke came into the studio. He had a big cheer. Time to do the deal, the, the tug of war. He gets in the ring and he's smiling, which he had a tremendous personality. The fans just were drawn to him. And uh, not only did he smile, he went and shook every one of the contestants' hands. I thought that was wonderful, man. No, and you never talked to Joe about what you wanted him to do because mm -hmm. Joe had a had a feel for, for how to treat people. So he could shook all their hands and smile real big at them, you know, and they were already standing, five on each side. They had the ropes in their hand. So Les goes into the ring, and he takes the cuffs, the cuffs on the end of the rope and that are going to fit around Joe's biceps, and he, he straps them on to Joe's biceps. And then um, – he took a stopwatch out of his pocket 
and I, and he showed Joe, here's a stopwatch, we're going to put 10 seconds on it. And then he backed away and he got everybody ready. And then he screamed, go, and he hit the stopwatch timer. So, and instantly, because we're, we're so set and, and we got such a fantastic production crew with that television station there. They were, they got this real tight shot of Joe and you could see his face instantly how difficult and how hard these guys were pulling on him. And uh, he kind of just, uh, you know, he was just kind of being pulled back and forth one direction and then the other. And before the 10 second ends, the Mongolian stomper shoots right up in the ring. He kicks uh -huh. Joe in the chest and, uh, and Joe went down face first. Uh, Gigi uh, shows up at ringside and, uh, and you can imagine now when Stomper jumped in that ring and he, he goes after Joe, you can imagine all those guys that are in there, how fast <laughs> they exited that ring. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. I mean, wow. It was almost instant in the, in the whole studio. It wasn't just the ring, the guys yeah. involved in the ring, the entire studio, it just was pandemonium instantly in the studio. Yeah. And the guys were trying to get out of the ring and jumping out on their face through the ropes onto the concrete. And it was just like, and an uh, almost, almost in, in a matter of two or three seconds, the <laughs> ring was empty, except for Joe and the stomper. You know? Imagine so the stomper, stories that these guys were telling about having been in the ring for a friendly competition with Joe, and then the stomper jumps into that. I mean, yeah. imagine the stories these guys had, regular Joe's had. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, they, they pre recorded this TV. So uh, two hours later, it's going to show. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm sure they ran back home and they called everybody they knew and said, Bubba, don't you gotta watch this. Yeah. Bubba, <laughs> don't you miss this. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So, so, you know, so the stomper's still in there. Joe's kind of uh, getting, trying to get back to his feet. He's been kicked in the chest while everybody's trying to pull him apart. And then the stomper goes and hits the ropes and he comes back and he kicks old Joe right in the face, man. And right. Joe began to bleed because he'd just been cut the night before. And the studio crowd was panicked, uh, you know, and they had left their seats, most of them, and they were standing against the back walls of the studio. And uh, because these camera crew was so good, they were taking these shots of what Stomper's doing to Joe, but in the background, you can see these fans hugging each other. They're all, and some of them are crying. You know, it's like, wow, this is crazy, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really, uh, it's a scary scene. You know, and Stomper, you know, continues the attack. He just keeps going and stomping Joe in the face and until Bob Armstrong comes and hits the ring and then Stomper jumps out and him and Gigi, they disappear. So, uh, Naturally, as the program format was, thank goodness, uh, there's a two-minute commercial break, the TV station's commercial break there. So we were trying to get the studio back, less trying to get the studio back, you know, in some kind of form and fashion here to say to, to, like it was. And, uh, you know, after the two minutes was done, you know, the studio's still buzzing. And some of the fans are still standing back against the wall. And those that are sitting down, some of them are crying. I mean, the, it's it's a really really unbelievable scene there. Mm -hmm. So uh, Bob has to go into the ring. You know, supposedly Joe was going to come to do the uh, do the interview at the set, but Bob has to go in the ring and he's helping Joe. And Rob and Tony come out. They bring a couple of towels and uh, they start trying to 
to stop Joe's bleeding unless really on the, he's on the job, man. He sees that, hey, we're running out of time and they're not going to come here. He goes to the ring and he gets in the ring and they, and it, it's about two minutes left in the show. So Bob takes Les's microphone and he, and he begins the interview he, mm. and he says, uh, you know, he says something, you know, about the, he'd seen almost everything in his years in the ring, but he'd never seen anything like this, you know? And he says, and that during this time, Rob and Tony, they're back behind with Joe and they, you can see him trying to get, it is a get it bleeding to stop. And so Bob just continues talking, you know, and he says he, he didn't care about the match come Friday night against Stomper Ben for the belt. Belts don't mean anything when you've got idiots like this. You know, he said, I just want to get my hands on the Stomper and gorgeous George Jr. And uh, he said, either one of them, it don't matter which one or mm. both of them. I don't care. And, uh, and then Joe's kind of coming up on his feet. Uh, and, and then and Bob just put his arms around his shoulders and he, and he told, uh, he told, uh, the, the, you know, that this, this, this got, uh, he said, the fans love this man. He goes, I, I've never seen fans except somebody like him. And, uh, you know, and he said, he's just been here a couple of weeks and, you know, and, uh, and the, you know, he said, I'd hate to be in that Mongolian stompers boots because this guy here is going to be in the amphitheater Saturday night, Friday night. Uh, <laughs> going to be in the amphitheater Friday night, and he's going to be in that battle royal with the stomper. So uh, Joe grabbed the microphone. Time's just about run out. The blood's still running off of his nose, and uh, he gets that tremendous expression, man, that he always got when he was really, really into things, and and he was famous for that uh, face, man, that just froze fans all across the southeast. His eyes were kind of bugged out with hate in him, man, and uh, time running out, and he closed the show. He told the stomper, he said, you should have never done this, that now you know. He says, now no longer am I here for Ronnie Garvin, Bob Orton Jr. He says, I'm here for you, stomper. He says, my war's with you. And he said, next Friday night, I'm going to, it's going to be my turn for a sneak attack. And then he ended the whole deal with just three words. He said, I can't wait. Wow. Oh, wow. I don't I don't think Joe had to practice long in front of the mirror that face that we've all seen that was just frightening of oh, who is this guy and what is he thinking and what is going to happen next. That's unbelievable, Ron. All right, I had no idea that was coming. I, I kind of had an idea something could happen, but I don't think the fans knew what was going to be happening back in those days and I don't think they would have expected this. So, all right, I have no idea what is going to happen the next Friday night. So, what what did happen? Okay, well, first match, uh, uh, Novell Austin beat Pappas again, uh, mm -hmm. second time in a row. Uh, Joe LaDuke obviously won his handicap match and, and, uh, against McCrary and Tony Peters, and uh, both of them gave up in his bear hug. Yeah, wait, do you mean... Both of them at the same time gave up to the bear hug. All right. I think I'm kidding a little bit there. <laughs> well, it could have happened. Well, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be, Dave, because I'm not kidding when I say I think if he'd have gotten his arms around both of them, yeah. he would have made both of them give up at the same yeah. time. Shake them both uh, like rag dolls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe, Joe LaDuke was just absolutely scary, strong, man. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. uh, and the last guy you'd ever want to have is an enemy. So uh, Ron Wright and the pro were in the third match, and uh, this was the first time the pro was really tested since since he came to Southeastern. 
It actually ended up in a 20 minute time limit draw. Neither one of them won. Uh, so it was so good that, uh, you know, uh, Les and Rob talked to me about it. And, uh, you know, I said, we bring it back 30 minutes. Let's increase the time limit and let them have it again. So the Southeastern Championship match was next, and Rob and Tony Charles were against the champions, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. And uh, Bob Orton Jr. and Knoxville got disqualified. Uh, you know, and uh, and the way they did it, Rob had, a, had the fuller leg lock on Bob Orton Jr., and the referee was standing over top of him asking Jr. if he wanted to quit. And uh, Mr. Knoxville came, came into the ring, but instead of coming over and stomping Rob off, he just came over and knocked the referee down on his down on his rear end. <laughs> referee started ringing the bell. I mean, it's you know you can't do that. You know, so uh, mm. it's a heck of a way to get disqualified. You know, pretty obvious here that I'm trying to save my belts, but uh, so obviously they lost the match, but they did save their belts and they were still the champion. And the next match was uh, with Bob Armstrong and the Mongolian Stomper for the Southeastern Championship. Stomper had Gorgeous George Jr. at ringside. This one was a great match, according to Les, who had relayed the TV results and the Friday night uh, results to me because I'm across the state. And, uh, you know, and his descriptions were great. I mean, he told me everything. So so Bob had the stomper beat after the stomper collided with the referee and Bob was on top of him and Gigi came into the ring. Referee's down. He had plenty of time to do whatever he wanted to do. And for the first time that uh, he had ever done this, he pulled something out of his jumpsuit pocket. He wore these crazy flowery jumpsuits most of the time. <laughs> you know, he, 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 I don't know. His style of dress was crazy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then whatever he had in his pocket, he put on his hand and he hit Bob in the back of the head with it. And then he pulled the Bob off the stomper and he put the rolled the stomper over on top of Bob and he left the ring. Mm-hmm. Well, the ref was about to count Bob out. When uh, guess who comes comes to comes to get involved, man? Uh, uh-huh. Joe LaDuke, man. And I uh, mean, when Joe LaDuke slid in there, the referee's about to count Bob out. Joe LaDuke stomped that the stomp the stomper in the back, and then that crowd exploded, man. And the referee rang the bell to disqualify Bob because you know uh, Joe LaDuke came to help Bob. But, man, it didn't stop the brawl. In fact, the brawl was on, man. Uh, and they just kept fighting. Uh, Joe LaDuke and the Stomper. Bob's still there in the ring. Uh, Gigi's down there. Uh, and a second referee comes to the ring. And then they, they, they just kept fighting. So some of the wrestlers started coming to the ring. They were coming to try to pull them apart. But they were actually, we just they just went and started the battle royal. So many people were trying to pull them apart. Everybody's in the ring and they're all fighting. They just rang the bell and that's the start of the battle roar. And uh, so it ended the battle roar with just two guys in the ring, Stomper and Joe LaDuke. And uh, Les, uh, you said the amphitheater was going crazy, man, during that entire battle roar. Uh, both of these guys were fighting, man, at the end of this, like just like they'd done in the week before when they had first time they'd ever met. And uh, pretty soon, obviously, they were both bleeding again. And uh, one of the two refs got knocked down uh, in the early part of the battle royal and carried back to the dressing room. So there was only one referee still in the ring. And LaDuke was about to get the stomper over the top rope and win the battle royal. And Norvell Austin comes running down to the ring. And he tried to come in to help the stomper, but the ref stopped him on the apron. 
So Gigi saw his spot and he ran into the ring. He pulled that same object out of his jumpsuit that he'd used on Armstrong and he nailed the Duke with it. But Joe didn't even flinch. <laughs> he turned around and grabbed Gigi. He threw him all the way across the ring it, into the referee's back. The referee went down and Austin sneaked into the ring. And he ran across. By then, Joe LaDuke's trying to throw the stomper out. Uh, Austin runs across, and he uh, headbutts Joe LaDuke in the back of the head. And LaDuke didn't even sell it. He just turned around. He grabbed Austin, and he hurled him over the top rope. And the stomper kicked LaDuke from behind. Joe went down, and all three of them, Austin came back in. Uh, the ref's still down. GG's got back up. All three of those guys got on the Duke by himself, got him up on the top rope, and were about to dump him out of the ring. And uh, Austin, as soon as uh, they got him on the top rope, Austin jumped out of the ring, went to back to the dressing room. Gigi jumped off the ring apron, and the referee turned around. He saw a stomper dump the Duke from the ring. He didn't see the rest of it. And the stomper won the $5,000 check, but he nor Gigi got the check. Uh -huh. because old Joe was still there. And Joe came into the ring, and they ran, and they brought out the check, and Joe took the money. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> and he went to the dressing room, and, I mean, uh, Les said there wasn't a butt in the seats, Ron, man. Everybody was going nuts cheering him, man. <laughs> so so they, he, he didn't win the money, but he got the check. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, it, so with the attitude of what you're going to do about, about it. So, man, that is amazing. What was the, so it had to be huge. What was the attendance, Ron, after all that crazy stuff on, on a big card like that? Uh, it was over 6,000 again. Uh, you know, as I said, it wasn't like the Coliseum. You couldn't get an exact figure most of the time. But uh, Liz said it looked as big as the as the world championship match from the night, from the Friday before, which was about 6,300. But Les said, Ron, it had to be over 6,000 again. Holy cow. We were talking about gorgeous Georgia a few seconds ago. I think I think the best phrase would be intentionally flamboyant. And so he, wa he wanted to look like the umbrella off any given patio, I think. so. <laughs> That's a good description, right? There. And that was his choice. All right. What a night and what an incredible battle royal. All right. I got the feeling we have not heard the end of this battle royal, especially since Joe LaDuke left the ring with the Stomper's money. And I hate to say it, Ron, but I don't think we're going to get all of this in. And we're going to have to hold off until next week for the learning tree question for this one. But an incredible stud cast. This has been an awesome one right here. And listen, on Facebook, to become friends with Ron on Facebook, do not go to his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It is full at this time. It may continue to be for quite some time. Go to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Then simply follow him there and automatically become friends with a legend. Twitter and Instagram. Follow him on both at Ron Fuller Welch. The next Super Studcast number 30, number 43, rather, part one is now available. It is groundbreaking for the stud. He interviews one of the new generation TV commentators from WWE, Ring of Honor, and now New Japan wrestling fame. 
Kevin Kelly has paid his dues after 30 successful years in the sport. Kevin recalls fascinating facts about today's wrestling companies and personalities and his great appreciation for Ron's history, his stud cast and super stud cast. All at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours, only $2.99. After this show today, we're going to be able to hear Ron's tribute to Paul Orndorff in part two on Tuesday, July 27th. And definitely still the best old school DVDs out there. The Southeastern Continental Collector's Edition. Five DVD pack has 67 matches and more than 12 hours of tremendous action. Many stars in these DVDs went on to become superstars. See for yourself why these two companies lit up the wrestling world. Own your piece of pure wrestling history at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. Only $39.99 with free shipping. And Brutus. Brutus can't be stopped. Brutus is a man-eating lion. Tragically, he ended up in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. A worldwide panic ensues. More than 50 five-star ratings on Amazon. This could be the next Jaws, some say. Get the book or the special autograph copy at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store with free shipping or amazon.com. Brutus Novel, the keywords. Read the thriller before the movie comes out. And subscribe today for Ron's YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. Ring the bell, and the matches will soon begin as Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV shows are added each week. Don't miss Mac, the Funk Brothers interview from 27 years ago. Mac, by the way, the man who saved Southeastern Tribute. And it was an incredible interview that we did, and a lot of information a lot of folks didn't know about Mac. And again, the Funk Brothers interview from 27 years ago. You can saddle up now at YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Ring the bell and begin your ride into old school history. All right, Stud, you got a lot going on in your life. So where do we ride to next week? Yeah, you're right about that, Dave. I'm telling you, man. I don't know how you keep from running out of breath, man, with all that. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, next week we're going to we have another today's training. Obviously, we're going to continue to educate fans. We'll have a new topic. We're going to deep dive into something about wrestling that uh, that was probably done back in the old school days. Uh, we talk a lot about that. We're going to be moving further, obviously, into July of 1977. July 8th is going to be the card we're going to be talking about. It's one of the most unique matches in history on this card. Bob Armstrong's in the handicap match against both the Stomper and Gorgeous George Jr. It's for the championship. Mm. And there's a stipulation in this one. If Stomper and Gigi don't beat Armstrong in 10 minutes, Bob Armstrong gets Georges George Jr. for seven days <laughs> to do anything he wants to with it. All right. <laughs> so, you know, plus there's another great TV, and uh, we'll get the attendance for that for that big card. So, and the learning tree question, uh, it's going to be the same one that we didn't have time for today, and that was where were the southeastern results of the May 1977 uh, mm -hmm. Arbitron and Nielsen rating books? And uh, 
And uh, what what were those ratings? Yeah, because in the in the episodes past, we've heard we've heard about the history of those ratings, and they are phenomenal. And I think even nationally, they would be considered phenomenal. That sounds like another special studcast again next week. So we will be here for that for sure. If Armstrong doesn't lose to both the Stomper and Gigi in the first ten minutes of a handicap match, he gets Gigi for an entire week. That's it. Uh, all right, so I got to see what's going to happen there. All right, I can't wait to get the results on that match, Ron. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, but uh, I look forward to it too, man. Uh, you know, the strange things, man, were going on in 1977. Uh, imagine, imagine what Bob Armstrong could could do with Gorgeous George Jr. in seven days. And I don't think uh, you know fans can imagine what he's going to do. <laughs> so, you know, thanks everybody for listening today and for signing up on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Please tell your friends about us as always, and uh, take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us and reminding you that Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.